Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. The winners are the, the people with the most stories. One of the great things about traveling is the people that you meet. I've slept in bus stations, like yeah. I've slept on people's floors. And it's already on fire, and then there's just a gigantic, huge explosion, like out of a Hollywood movie. It's not right or wrong, it's just different. We hired like 10 Chinese prostitutes to come be our audience. We were kidnapped by nuns in Puerto Rico. <laughs> not a good idea to be high when you're packing. You forget a lot of stuff. I got swine flu. By the time you've lived through it, it's just a good story. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Siegel. My guest today is Aton Elterman. Before we get to Aton, I want to remind you to visit our page at TravelTalesPodcast.com. Go there, see stories that I've written, stories that some of the guests have written, see their photos, and you get to see all their links to their social media and sites. Speaking of social media, I'm talking about our social media now. Travel Tales Podcast on Instagram, Travel Tales Pod on Twitter, Travel Tales Podcast podcast on Facebook. You go there, you can see links to Stitcher Radio, where you can subscribe. You can also see links to iTunes, where you can subscribe. And if you're on iTunes, I ask, please give us a good rating. That boosts our presence and helps people find the show. And while you're at it, why don't you tell a few million of your friends? That would also help a lot. If you want to write me, you can write me at TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. That's TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. My guest today, Aton Elterman, is one of the founders of Local Travel, that's local with a K, that strives to distribute the wealth among the locals wherever you travel. And that's always a good thing. I try to uh, promote that as much as I can because so many times when we travel, a lot of what we spend goes to big corporations, goes to multinational corporations, things that uh, don't really benefit the local people who need the money most of all. So Aton and his partners created Local Travel to uh, really focus on giving the money to the locals, local guides, local vendors, local uh, people in their homes, Basically, the people that need it the most. And that's something that we here at the Travel Tales Podcast can get behind. He also has some cool stories about being a DJ in Buenos Aires and the crazy crowdfunding stunt he used to bankroll uh, the movie that inspired local travel. So he's a nice guy. He's doing good work. If you're interested in booking a tour with local travel, you can see the links on our page at TravelTalesPodcast.com. Support the locals when you travel and support local travel. So please enjoy my conversation with the deep radio voice of Aton Elterman. Aton Elterman, and it's E-Y-T-A-N-E-L-T-E-R-M-A-N. This sounds very, I'm going to guess, Turkish? Hebrew. Hebrew. Yeah. Okay. First name is is Hebrew. Last name is is German. Okay. I was around the Mediterranean. Yeah. I was close. Yeah, I was just close. over the sea. Yeah. Is your family from Israel or? We're, I mean, uh, we all are really. In yeah. A way. One of the thirteen tribes. <laughs> yeah. Right? I mean, uh, mine were chased out of Russia and Poland. Me too. Yep. See, all Russia and Poland. Yeah. Uh, my name's Hebrew. I have extended family in Israel, but actually, my parents are from Mexico City. Okay. Uh, we're. Yeah. Uh, Mexico City. Yeah. So during World War II, a lot of Jewish refugees fled Russia and Poland. Yeah. And all of Europe. And my, you didn't come to Jersey like the rest of us? They Jeez. didn't let them in. Wow. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So well, they, we're building that wall, you know. <laughs> I was like, that's the seven, start of it, seven, baby. 70 years <laughs> to 
behind behind the yeah. times. So yeah. Mexico City, you know, yeah, they ended so up they, everywhere. You'd see them in. Uh, it's a big community in uh, Buenos Aires when yeah. I was down there as well. Mm-hmm. So, but Mexico City, I didn't, haven't heard that. Yeah, there's there's a about I don't know two hundred thousand uh, Mexican Jews. Okay, that came in during the Holocaust as refugees, and then there's also uh, some indigenous kind of Mexican Jews from. Hundreds and hundreds of years ago. <laughs> Aztec Jews? Yeah, oh, Aztec Jews, I, I believe. <laughs> uh, I, I actually don't know that community oh, okay. at, at all. This is just what I've read. It'd be interesting to look into that a little bit more. Yeah, when did your family get up to the Bay Area? When they were in their mid-20s, my parents moved to Berkeley to go uh, to... Oh, I'm seeing some little hippie style here. Yeah, go, okay. Go to, go to graduate Berkeley, school. Berkeley, sure. Yeah. That must yeah. have been fun. I grew up in Berkeley. Okay. Yeah. Now, this Uh, is fascinating to me because it was so different from... I grew up outside of Chicago. So, I have a feeling I can can only... Well, stereotypically, you think of Berkeley, it must have been just kind of like free... Yeah, whatever you're into, man. Study it. Do it. Is it kind of like that? Berkeley High, I didn't realize how... Left-wing it was? Or how... how (laughs) I mean, left-wing is is one thing. How how different it was than kind of the rest of... How diverse is it? I mean, like, I mean, we we celebrated all the and we celebrated, you know, Kwanzaa. Oh, that's a lot like, of days you know, off. That's kind of cool. Oh, well, we had assemblies where we celebrated, you know, things like Kwanzaa. We we had a, Kwanzaa. a wow okay. a requisite class freshman year called ethnic studies where we had uh-huh. to you know kind of learn about different ethnicities and it it was it was about I would say when I was when I was there about thirty percent white, thirty percent black, and Fifteen percent Asian, fifteen percent Latino, okay. give or take. So it was pretty di- pretty diverse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think what a lot of people might overlook about Berkeley is is the you know it's pretty there. There's a pretty strong division of of classes there. Um, mm-hmm. There's you know there's the definitely what, there's one high school, three thousand people, and you and you get students from all different yeah, yeah. walks of life. Anywhere there's a big yeah. university, I mean, you're going to get a diverse. You know, the professors are all from God knows where. You know, so you're going to get a whole wide range of stuff. But that's kind of cool. But there is, you know, it's also you're close to Oakland and yeah. and all that. You know, so you're going to get all all types. I don't know. How do you see the division of classes when you look at it in, in like an economical way? Did you notice it growing up, or did were they did they try to make you aware of it that people were from different I guess that's well, diversity I mean, really <laughs> I mean I I grew, I grew up in a you know in an area where you know there there wasn't you know my parents grew up in an area where you know nicer neighborhood not a ton of violence you yeah. know but um I was exposed to a lot of violence and kind of <laughs> gang life going to Berkeley High you know we had an open campus while I was still a student there and so there were a lot of a lot of, you know, there's rivalries with like Oakland high schools and, you know, there would, there would be a lot of fights during mm-hmm. lunchtime and it was a pretty little more violent than I think what people <laughs> yeah. realize. It's not the university. Yeah, it's not the university. No, it's, you know, it's a, uh, it's a very, it's a very urban high school. I mean, a lot of beautiful qualities about the school, you know, I think has maybe the most electives, or at least when I was there, the most elective classes out of any public high school oh, in the man, state lucky. so we could take all kinds of you know really creative like you know artistic electives and really good like sports teams i played lacrosse at berkeley high <laughs> and ended up playing uh, at ucla uh, oh you came down here for school i did okay yeah was there one trip that you took as a young person well you're already young but i mean even when you were like say in college or out of college or something that really was the turning point for travel like opened your eyes it's like 
life changing in a way. Yeah, I like to. I kind of like to say that all my all my travel experiences have been life changing. I mean, to a certain respect. But I was I was here in Los Angeles for a couple of years after graduating from UCLA and decided to uh, quit my job. At the time, I was working in reality television, and I just oh, no. took... You too, huh? Uh, you got sucked in. I did get sucked in, but uh, I got out. God, yeah, I envy you. <laughs> I'm still in it. Yeah. Uh, what show, well, can you say? So, yeah, I mean, at the, at the time, I was working for Extreme Makeover. <laughs> oh, wow. But okay. not, not the uh, house. The whole, oh, not... No, like the human makeover. The human makeover. I, was, I, was, I would have preferred the house. Yeah, I think I, I well, At the time, we didn't know that it was heading in that direction. Uh-huh. I was just the human makeover. So for your soul, you got out of it. I did. Okay, good. I got out of it. I left Los Angeles, and I moved to Buenos Aires, Argentina. Oh, oh I love that city. And uh, yeah, amazing city, amazing country. I spent a year there, and I initially went down to teach English and perfect my Spanish because I didn't speak it that fluently at the time. And they have a crazy accent down there. They that do. was the one place that I had the hardest time getting around. Che, boludo. Yeah, it's just... I, uh... Ya está lloviendo. <laughs> no, it's good. I, I, I get in I, the cab and then I would try something and, and the, uh, the guy got... I got nothing. I usually can get by in the cab, but man, there, they're just they're looking at me like, como? And I was like, como? I, I, I couldn't even get a hint of what they were saying. Yeah, it's... Uh... They call it Castellano, and uh, they're offended when it, when you refer to it as Spanish. It's, oh, it's no es español. It's not Spanish. It's Castellano, and it's the purest uh, dialect of of Spanish. So according very, to them, according to them, oh, sure, they're, they're, yeah. they're, they're, I think the people in Madrid would yeah. have a problem. They're, with they're them very that. very proud. Yeah. yeah, according to them. Yeah, of course. It's just the Argentinian kind yes, of right. ego to a certain extent. It, it almost sounded like Italian. You know, to the listener, you know, to the ear, it almost it has. It's really weird sounding. Yeah. I thought, yeah, yeah. So uh, a year there, I, I found I found it to be beautiful. And after a year, I, I spoke one hundred percent like them. It was just so different. Yeah. It was just so yeah. different. Right. You know, it's it's completely different than than most Spanish you'll hear in any other country. Yeah. Uruguay uh, has a similar accent, but that's about it. Good uh, wine. Good wine. Malbec. Oh, yeah. Man. The Mendoza region. I went to a couple of Boca Juniors games uh-huh. down there. That was crazy. Yeah. That was so much fun. Throwing the streamers on yeah. the field and yeah. dancing. And did you have a choripan before or after the game? Is it, that is a. That's the, the Argentinian chorizo, the sausage. On oh, a, sure. Yeah. Yeah. On a, yeah. Piece of, on a toasted piece of bread with a little uh, mayonnaise. I got a little. Uh, I, I was there for about a week. Or like ten days or something, and uh, I went to Iguazu, mm-hmm. you know, for I did a little side trip there, but uh, got a little uh, staked out. I couldn't. It's like I I don't eat that much red meat to begin with, and I don't mind it, but boy, after a while, it's like I can't eat any more steak, guys. I'm, I'm sorry, I can't do it. Yeah, when 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 you're done with steak in Argentina, and, you move on to empanadas, empanadas and pizza. pizza. Oh my <laughs> yeah, god, every rest. Yeah. It's like yeah. I couldn't do it. it yeah. Great ice cream. Yeah, great gelato. Yeah, the, the Italians did leave something dulce there. Dulce de leche. Oh man. Yeah. But yeah, it's uh, yeah. I found the menus to be a little limiting after yeah. a while. Yeah, after a while. The thing with with Buenos Aires, I mean, there there's a diverse range of of restaurants and good international cuisine. There's there's Thai food and Mexican food, and but you have to know where to go to yeah. to find that. I made a sushi yeah. mistake there. Yeah. Was, oh boy, yeah. There's sushi, there's sushi there too. Oh boy, yeah. Uh, so what about it? Like so, really changed you? Okay, so. 
so when I, I was there, I, I went to teach English and I ended up uh, connecting with a institute that gave me one student and I was teaching her for two hours a week. Basically, I didn't have a job. Like, it didn't work out. And um, I was going out a lot. Nightlife in, in Buenos Aires is... is pretty prominent it's yeah. a pretty prominent part of their culture you have dinner and, at midnight and then you come yeah. home at six in the morning sure. yeah. Yeah. yeah you have dinner at midnight you get to the club now, i remember <laughs> one of the first i was with this group of friends it was like week week two and we're like sitting around it's like midnight we're in their apartment and one of the guys like so you know tonight we get to the club super early and it's already midnight and <laughs> and and i'm like oh great like i don't have to sit around for another like four hours because we've been like going out at like four in the morning mm -hmm. it's like today tonight we get to the club at 3 a.m on the dot <laughs> and like it's early for them you know like you get to the clubs at three and it's, it's dead and it, yeah no, one no there. one's there oh god but uh i just found that to be hilarious but um I ended up starting a, a promotions company in Argentina and working with the nightlife industry. I taught myself how to how to DJ. Uh, <laughs> I had a a really strong library of hip hop and was able to download and get a lot more. And basically started the first hip hop party in Buenos Aires. And uh, really, yeah. And there was um, no real scene there. What zero. year was this? What year are we talking? Two thousand four, two thousand five. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, there was no, no scene. There was an what underground was, scene. Did you have a name? What was it? DJ Gringo? What was, what was the name? Give me, give, come on, give me your hip hop name. What was it? DJ Leche. <laughs> ah, sure. Of course. DJ Leche. <laughs> All right. I like yeah, it. It's like, <coughs> this was something that was, uh, it was suggested to me. I love it. Yeah. By the way, international DJ, that is the greatest gig I've ever seen. I mean, these guys get flown all over the world with a laptop. They don't even have to speak the language. They don't, and these guys they just paid to work two hours spinning music. And oh, what a gig! It's what a good a life. Gig. I at least have to go to where they speak English. You know, these guys go everywhere. Right. Everywhere. There's no need to to speak the language. Okay. So you start this business. How long did this last? A year. A year. Yeah. And did you had enough, or did your visa run out? Well, how did you? So, I ended up really just starting a life there in a way that I had not envisioned. Um, we got offered, you know, there, there was, you know, a, a producer that worked with a kind of hip hop R&B artist in Argentina uh, at the time was one of the top producers in Argentina. He came to our party one night um, and ended up wanting to buy part of our business and merge with us. And uh, so you had partners by this point. I actually went down to Buenos Aires with one of my best friends oh, okay. who, uh, also had left his job. He was up in the Bay Area, and we went down together. So this was the two of us that were doing it. Uh, so, yeah, it was me and him and, you know, th this producer's promoter, Juanse, I remember his name, <laughs> wanted to uh, join, uh, wanted to be a part of, of our business. And it made me think about multiple things. It made me think that if I accept this, it means I'm probably going to be in Argentina for two, three, four, five more years, which I'm right. um, not sure was my initial, you know, I didn't want to start a life, like long-term life down there. Uh, and two is I don't really know what I'm doing if I bring this guy on. Like, what does this mean from a business perspective? Yeah. It's a little scary. Um, but, you know... I ended up realizing that 
I have a strong passion for international travel. I have a strong passion for business and, and kind of creating, creating things. And uh, what I need is a little more education on the subject. But it proved so, to yourself that you could do it. And proved you, to me that I you're not afraid it. of it. Correct. Okay. Correct. No, they, I actually embrace it and actually thrive in these situations. Um, so I ended up going to business school. I studied international business, international management, knowing that uh, I wanted to work uh, it, around the world, but that I probably needed a little bit more of a foundation to be able to successfully do so. Did you go back for an MBA or something? I did. Okay. I went down for an I, I left Argentina uh, and, and got an MBA. Okay. Yeah. Back here at UCLA? I, I went to actually uh, the Middlebury Institute of International Studies on the Central Coast. It's, a, it's so Middlebury College. In Vermont? Uh, yeah, it's their graduate program. Okay. At, at the time, it was the Monterey Institute oh, of International right. Studies. Now it's the Middlebury Institute. Um, it's an international school focused on, you know, I mean, they have an MBA program, but also a policy program and a lot of other. It's international focus school. Cool. Did yeah. you? <laughs> DJ Leche. That's DJ the, Leche. And, and that's my fantastic. partner was DJ Naranja. Orange. Orange? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did uh, any thoughts of like bringing that back to the States of DJ in here? We thought about it. It's just a slightly more saturated market yeah, here. There's like, no shortage of hip hop DJs yeah, here. Yeah, then, you know, it's not like my skills. It's <laughs> like mad, they were, they were, your mad skills. They were good enough for what I had to do down there. But, That's you know. Great. Did you work just one club? Or, yeah, or we had rotate around the city. Well, we had a, a Thursday night party. Oh, fun. So every Thursday night, we had a, a party that started around 1 30 in the morning. Really early. Oh, it's yeah, but it really didn't get. I mean, didn't get crowded till like three thirty or yeah, four. But we had to start earlier, um, and so we had the, every Thursday night uh, for a year, and that we promote. It was on us to promote and bring people in and all that. And then yeah, we we started getting requests to like guest DJ at other <laughs> clubs, and That's it's awesome. like the DJs from California. It's like you know, like <laughs> yeah. So it was this whole. As far kind as they know, thing. you're a huge star up here. Yeah, yeah. Let, <laughs> let them think that. Go with it. Do you have anything out there in the internet that people like? Any mixes or anything that people can download? See, this was like right on the cusp of like of like YouTube. Yeah, and, you know so. A lot of what we did is not documented. Right. Yeah. We did. I do have a DVD somewhere <laughs> that I would love to put online. Of So do you remember like the Wild on E with like Brooke Burke? Sure, yeah. of course. So there was an Argentinian version of that. Right, right. Uh, and that program came to our party and did a whole segment ah. on us. And... Um, I, they, I, I have a DVD of it somewhere that I have not been able to track down. <laughs> that would be awesome to be able to look at. Yeah. Leche and Orange. Yeah, Le, oh, DJ boy. Leche, DJ Orange. <laughs> DJs from California. We did all right. That's great. You know? Um, That's a lifestyle, though. It's dangerous to get sucked into. You know, it's, it's fun, but then you're a vampire. And, uh, yeah, it leads, to, leads some people to a lot of you know, bad places after a while. And it's also trendy. You know, you're hot one year and you're not, right. and then, you know, it's fleeting. Right. But, yeah, boy, well, that's a good story, though. Yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a good life for a year. But <laughs> the vampire, it was, I mean, we were definite vampires. Yeah. Like, getting out of the house before 
three or four was like a win and at the time. It and was, it's fascinating to think that so many people, they, they go out, like in places like Buenos Aires or, or a lot of Latin America, they'll go out and they'll stay out till six in the morning and they still work the next day. I don't know how they, it's bizarre to me. Maybe I could do it, but I mean, people in their like 40s doing this. I don't know how they last. Do they take siestas anymore? Because I heard a lot of uh, countries have gotten away from it to get more like in an international life. If they're doing business with America or something, they can't do it. And people are like falling asleep at their desks because they're still staying out till five in the morning. You, did you see that when you were there? I think the siesta life in Argentina is not that big. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's much more of a Spanish thing. When do I'm they sure sleep? <laughs> it's, I know, right? I, I have this question. I, I, I don't know. Like, I, I didn't have to wake up for a job. So I, I could mean. go out. I would just, I would always question people that were out with me until <laughs> yeah. like sunrise and then had to go to work in one hour. And they're like, oh, we just do it. Like, we do this once a week. That's not, we don't do it. We don't do it <laughs> seven, seven nights a week. Right. We do it once a week. We can do it once a week. I guess you can. Yeah, I guess you can, but. I could at one point, but yeah. yeah, now I, no thanks. Yeah. So I don't have a good answer for that other than it's just like what, and it's culturally kind of what they do. Yeah. So you came down here for school, but then you went back up. Well, tell me the start of uh, how local travel started and whose idea it was. So local, I would say, is a, a convergence of, of various minds and various paths that, you know, <laughs> uh, we're a team of four. And share my, my personal story as to kind of how I came to be involved in local and help found local. I, um, I guess I'll start five or six years ago when I was running a small boutique media agency that uh, we did travel marketing, uh, video and photo travel marketing. And uh, so we had a lot of client work, different you know destinations uh, that we worked with and, and hotels and you know different travel conferences. And we also decided to uh, work on a, an independent project. Uh, so what that was was a, a documentary film that we crowdfunded. Uh, the money for. Uh, I can get into that story. Oh, a little. Kickstarter? Uh, we did an Indiegogo campaign. Okay. And I can get into that story a little bit because there's, <laughs> there, there's some good uh, backstory around how we actually achieved or accomplished reaching our goal. But uh, And the goal was? So th- 30000 30000 Yeah, $30,000. And uh, basically what, you know, we were a week out from, you know, the campaign ending and we were about halfway to our goal. So we decided to create a media stunt uh, to really garner up a lot of attention. What we did was we uh, locked ourselves in a in an office. Uh, we decorated it like a bad '80s prom um, with like you know <laughs> hey, I went rain, to one of those. rainforest themes. <laughs> uh, we had like fake palm trees and a strobe light, and you know uh, we basically announced to the world that we weren't going to leave that room until we raised our money and we were dressed like rainforest animals. Uh, I was a sea turtle and uh, my co-producer was a scarlet macaw. And <laughs> But 80s ones. So you had like, a, you know, just the crazy hair and you know, big, big, big hair. And... Full, full on mask, man. <laughs> a turtle dressed like Don yeah. Johnson. Yeah, sure. okay. yeah, yeah. We, we, uh, we did it up. <laughs> Uh, we had like graffiti in the background. We doing like a live live feed, feed. okay? Yeah. And so we thought it was going to take about you know two days, give uh-huh. or take. It ended up taking four and a half days. 
107 hours. Oh my God. We were stuck in this, in this room, room uh, with a camera on us dancing. Every time someone donated, uh, we reached our goal. That's and, amazing. Uh, well, how many people were in this room? Two of us. Just the two of you? Yeah. Yeah. There were just the two of us. Uh, you know, friends and friends would come in, you know. Uh, we didn't leave to get food. People would bring us food. When did you sleep or take bathroom uh, breaks or anything? So, so yeah, the only time we left the room was to go to the bathroom. And, and while we did, we had a sign and we put it on a chair. It said, the other one will be back in five minutes, <laughs> like bathroom break. So you did it in shifts? We did it in shifts. But, yeah. but the rule was that there had to at least be one of us at all times in front of the oh camera. And we were only kind of... We only left really to go to the bathroom. We slept on these little mats for a few hours a night uh, on, on, camera? on camera in our costumes. <laughs> Be- yeah. Um, and so, you know, when we went to sleep around, you know, or when we laid down, I don't even know how much we slept, but like around two or three West Coast time, uh, you know, it was already, you know, five or six on the East Coast and people were waking up and pinging us and we had to be <laughs> we had to be awake. So we'd sleep for a few hours, but, you know, didn't have a lot of, a lot of time to rest. Uh, and we, we like to say, and I think it's, it's accurate, actually, that we came out of that experience uh, with a slight case of PTSD. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. Um, but you get your goal. You got the money. We hit 30, our goal. 30000 We hit our goal. And it, and it allowed us to go down to Costa Rica to make a, a documentary film about the intersection of rainforest conservation and tourism development. Mm-hmm. And uh, that really was the impetus. I mean, that was the beginning of the journey to get to where we are now, which is local, because um, we went down to the most biologically intense place on Earth. Uh, and it's a region that is facing uh, potential development through an international airport. And so the documentary film was an investigation into how this, how an increase in tourism could positively or negatively affect this really fragile and beautiful part of the world uh, called the Osa Peninsula. Uh, what we learned through our five and a half months on the ground uh, making this film was that uh, a great strategy for social and environmental conservation while allowing, you know, development, but, you know, development in, in, a, in a healthy way, in a low impact way was to work with, you know, a lot of the local communities uh, and, and make them a part of the burgeoning tourism economy, as opposed to what often happens, you know, foreign corporations come in and build their, their infrastructure. And, you know, these communities end up being marginalized and don't, you know, don't, they're not a part of of the tourism economy. Yep. Isn't a big part of that, though, getting you have to work with a a government that's willing to see it halfway because the government will take its cut and leave the people out of it quite often. I've I've found in in a lot of these countries. So, yeah, it doesn't trickle down to the people. So did you ever have uh, meetings with the Costa Rican authorities and the government there? We did. Uh, we, we, We were unable to on multiple occasions get the minister of tourism on camera uh kind of snuck away from us <laughs> on yeah. various occasions and i think because he thought we were making um you know a film that might be more polarizing than what it ended up being um but yeah we 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 did you know one one really interesting thing about the costa rican ministry of tourism is that they they have a 
a department uh, focused on this type of tourism called rural tourism or community tourism. So, so there, there's actually resources on behalf of the Costa Rican government to promote uh community tourism. It's one of the few countries in, in Latin America that I'm aware of that, uh, you know, values uh, community tourism in that way. So while we weren't able to get a government representative on camera in our film, we tried, uh, they do support community tourism and uh, see it as a viable way to move forward with a lot of the more, you know, remote and, and kind of less developed areas in their country. So you were down there for four months shooting this, five months. So you finished, the, you finished it. Mm-hmm. You, what happened to it? What year, did it uh, what year did all this happen? And what's been the result of it? What's happened? Right. So, so yeah, so what we, ended up, what we ended up learning was that working with these local communities was the answer to a lot of the, the, the struggles. And uh, so we finished the film... Uh, about uh, a year and a half ago, and it's been doing the film festival circuit. Uh, we've won multiple awards at different film festivals, and um, still uh, we're, we're wrapping that up this summer. And come uh, fall, we will be releasing the film on you know video on demand, uh, so it'll be available through you know streaming services, uh, and. We're really excited about you know sharing sharing this film and sharing sharing the story behind a lot of the amazing people that live in those peninsula with a much bigger audience. Uh, what the film and what ended up happening with the film is that you know we we would screen it and and in the film there's a lot of scenes of these types of you know community tourism experiences and people in the audience would ask us and would tell us that, that they were interested in, in visiting. They were interested in, in being, in, in being there and would ask me how, how to do so. And at the time, what it took was, you know, me sitting down with them for a cup of coffee for an hour or, you know, yeah. like really, really taking the time to explain to them, you know, how to do this. And what we realized was there was, there was a real business opportunity to connect travelers who are interested in these types of culturally culturally immersive experiences with the destinations that are that are having trouble marketing their destinations. So you figure maybe a website is easier than having coffee with uh, a thousand different people. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> I could just put this in a website and send you there rather than sit down with you for a while. Okay. So uh, since the film had come out, have you heard anything from has there been any response from the Costa Rican government or anything? Have they seen it? Do you know? Any blowback? Any? <laughs> so the answer to that is is on on the high level, we have not heard anything back from the Costa Rican government. Um, kind of on the more regional level, we've we've you know we went on on tour in in southern Costa Rica with the film to share it with uh, a lot of the communities in the Osa Peninsula, and so yeah, different government representatives, you know, regional government representatives saw it, and you know, kind of bigger like tourism players side it's been immensely positive uh it's been you know there was a film that came out a few years prior to our film uh around similar themes uh you know just how 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 do we you know develop costa rica in a a more you know thoughtful way uh and that film ended up being extremely polarizing and banned by the costa rican government and 
we were very conscious of not wanting to polarize, but instead unify. And so that was always our goal is to, is to empower both the Costa Rican government and, and the Costa Rican people and, and, and empower the, you know, the local communities. And I think we, we actually accomplished that pretty well. It's a very um, nuanced thing, but we were, we were very aware of it. So when you look at Costa Rica and their growth, can you point to other countries that you've seen anywhere around the world that said they've done their growing right and point to another country and it's like, this is what you don't want to be? I mean, are there examples of both that you know? Well, I mean, w- one, of the, one of the more drastic examples is, you know, Cancun, right? Yeah. Um, and how Cancun is this mega development uh, yeah, it's like know, Fort Lauderdale. Yeah, big big tourism, and you go to Cancun, and you don't really, you know, everything is everything is is a show. Um, but then you can you can go outside of Cancun, and you can visit uh, different uh, areas in the Yucatan that uh, still maintain that level of you know cultural intimacy and and authenticity, uh, and so. One of the things that we are really working on is how do we, you know, a lot of Cancun is a huge, you know, for example, a huge tourism destination. Um, how, how do we give people options to, to leave Cancun and, and kind of connect in a different way uh, for a day or two or three with some of these really amazing culturally immersive experiences uh, while not, you know, while still having a little bit of the more traditional or mainstream experience? Uh, so... You know that's that's something that that through through local people can can access right of those those experiences you know in Tulum or Playa del Carmen which are you know an hour an hour and a half from Cancun but provide a completely different type of experience and expose people to that and give them an, an alternative and an option and then just let them know that it exists and at that point you know, travelers can make their own decision whether it's something that they want to do or not. But at this point, most travelers don't even know it's an option. Yeah. And also the kind of traveler that goes to Cancun, you know, not to generalize, but then they're not really looking for the, a cultural <laughs> immersion. They were looking to uh, drink cheap margaritas and, and get drunk on a, on a beach. So, it, it, you know, you want to expand people's minds, but they have to want it as well. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're, we're trying to we're trying to you know meet travelers. You know, I mean, we also offer a lot of experiences that are in much more remote destinations. But those, you know, because there's a, a very limited amount of knowledge around community tourism right now, limited amount of you know kind of traveler trust. Um, we're finding that the more remote destinations are getting uh, less attention than the destination, you know, kind of meeting travelers where that if they're already going to a tourism destination, maybe they'll take a day or two to visit something nearby, but they might not necessarily at this point dedicate a seven day or 10 day vacation to this type of tourism. But if they get a taste and they see what it is, Maybe next year they'll decide, right. you know, that this really is something that they, they love. But they have to kind of get their feet wet first. Right. So, it's hard so, to convince a 19-year-old. You know, there might be one in, in a group of 20 that has their eyes open to it and the others don't care. But, you know, that one guy will keep coming back. Or girl, whatever it is. Um, do you, other than like Costa Rica and I don't know if you're working with the uh, Cancun on your site or anything like that, but 
What are some of the other sites that people go to local travel or other destinations that you guys provide services for? Yeah, so we, we do have some experiences in, in Mexico, uh, Tulum, La Paz, Oaxaca. Uh, we have a, a, a growing network of partners in Guatemala, uh, all around the country in Guatemala. I've, I've spent four months in Guatemala last year uh, and absolutely love it and really I recommend Guatemala as a destination. I still haven't been. I've been around it, but I haven't been. What did you like about it so much? Um, I, I, I love the... First of all, it's a beautiful country. It, there, it's, it, it has a diverse set of, of natural kind of phenomenons from volcanoes that uh, kind of surround you in the Antigua area to caves that, you know, you can go caving in the Verapaz region to, you know, coffee... Uh, tours, you know, to Mayan ruins. And then there's a very strong, you know, kind of indigenous presence in Guatemala still. And I love the kind of coexistence uh, with those, you know, Mayan communities and particularly some of the, you know, some of the communities that we work with are 100% Quechi communities. So they don't speak Spanish. They speak Quechi. So while I speak Spanish fluently, and I'm in a Spanish-speaking country, I go to these communities and I feel like I am somewhere completely different and with, you know, um, different customs and, you know, just it's a beautiful thing to kind of connect with. The, the Mayan ruins are impressive. You know, uh, Tikal, Huachactun. Huachactun is a community, you have to actually go through Tikal, which is the, you know... I've the, seen Tikal on photos, but I mean, that looks pretty impressive, but I haven't heard of the other one. Yeah, Huachactun is, is a community that um, about 30, 40 minutes from, from Tikal, they unearthed uh, Mayan ruins in their community. So it's like a part of their daily existence. And they built uh, a few guest homes, and you can go to Huachactun as a as a visitor and they have tour guides and they, they'll tour you around the Mayan ruins. You'll sleep in a guest house. Uh, there's a couple small restaurants there that you can eat at. Uh, and then they have a lot of, you know, uh, different kind of economic, uh, kind of different trade that, that they work on. So they, they export this, this jungle leaf called, uh, I believe it's called Yasha. I might be mispronouncing that, but they have this whole kind of like warehouse where like they like package these leaves and the U S is one of the main buyers of these like jungle leaves. Is it, what do they do with the leaves? What is it? The U S they, I think they use them in like bouquets. They use, them, oh, okay. you know, I, so they're not smoking it or anything. No, no, no. They're <laughs> like, it's like de decoration. Oh, okay. And they, also, uh, uh they're, the region is known for chicleros, like chiclero region. They make gum out of trees. Okay. Uh, so, so they show you how they extract the, the substance from the tree and make gum from it, you know, old school way. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's interesting. But bottom line is you get to coexist and be with this community and, and visit the ruins, uh, but have a really, you know, personal experience while doing it you see guatemala as some place that it was almost like costa rica was 30 years ago in terms of their infrastructure and in terms of tourism like it's you i almost kind of think for someone like you you could get in on the ground floor there rather than costa rica is so built up now in terms of that correct i think there's some similarities between costa rica and guatemala for example you know i think one of the 
one of one of the striking aspects of Guatemala that I see changing is the amount of of garbage on the side of the roads. It's still, people still aren't aware about littering, uh, and Costa Rica is super clean. Uh, they don't litter there, but they did thirty years ago, and so this is something that uh, you know changed because Costa Ricans understood the value of kind of conservation and environmental cleanliness. And uh, Guatemala is not quite there yet in terms of that, but I see it probably heading in that direction. In terms of uh, tourism infrastructure, I think Guatemala is a lot closer to Costa Rica than people realize. There's really beautiful eco-lodges. There's good transportation for travelers. Uh, there's, uh, you know, even like domestic flights to go from Guatemala city up to the Paten region to visit Tikal. Uh, you know, the roads are, are pretty good, you know, for, you know, I wouldn't say the roads in Guatemala are that much better than they are in Costa Rica or that much worse than they are in Costa Rica. I got to think so, the prices in Guatemala, Guatemala would be much friendlier. It's got to be cheaper, is, huh? It is cheaper. Than Costa Rica. Co- they, they call Costa Rica the Switzerland of Central America. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Guatemala is a little cheaper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I think it still flies under the radar for a lot of people. Oh, and, yeah, definitely. Um, uh, you know, spending spending four months there last year and, and traveling the country, uh, also being based in Antigua, I... I really connected with, with the country, and Antigua is a beautiful place. You were based in Antigua? Yeah. For, for how long? Uh, multiple times, a couple months. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, for why there? Why were you based there of all places? So based in Antigua, actually, because there's a um, – it's kind of the, the hub for working professionals – uh, in Guatemala, there's uh, it's a progr- there's a lot of progressive thought there, a lot of uh, nonprofit you know like directors that are trying to you know make change, a lot of social entrepreneurs really, which is what I am. Um, so is it an island out? No, Antigua is the 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 colonial capital of Guatemala. Okay, it's about an hour from Guatemala City on the Caribbean coast. No, it's it's uh, in the mountains. Why it's, am I thinking of there's an there's an Antigua island? That's why that's yeah. why I was confused. There, I was like, wait a minute, you were in the okay? No, no, not that was not in the Caribbean. <laughs> okay, yeah. yeah, that's why I was just blown away. I was like, wait, that seems like an odd place for you to be based. No, so, Antigua, Guatemala. Okay. Yeah, it sounds like very Chiang Mai almost. You know, because like in Chiang Mai, it's up in the mountains and and in Thailand, and that's there's so many like startups there and people web based businesses, and it's like a cheap place to live, and it seems to be a hub here. Speaking of hubs, we're in a yeah, hub. We're in a hub. And <laughs> there's also a hub in Antigua okay. that I worked out of. It sounds nice. Yeah, it was great. Okay. Uh, I, I, I really um, enjoyed my time in Guatemala, and I'm looking forward to going back and spending more time there. So is locals uh, focus more Central America? Is it mostly Central America on your site? Central America and Southeast Asia. Okay. So, yeah, we, we currently operate in 15 countries. And, uh, yeah, what, what we're doing is basically, you know, there's this network of, of communities all over the world that, uh, don't have good market presence, um, through, you know, online portals. And we're creating a central database for all these amazing community destinations all over the world, make travelers be able to, you know, kind of search, uh, you know, seamlessly and, and, and book as well book a lot of these experiences that uh, you, you would have a hard time finding otherwise or 
probably wouldn't even be able to find otherwise. What do you offer and how much, I mean, do you do the whole thing? I mean, do you do air, airfare and all that other stuff? I mean, is, is it a one-stop shop with you guys? So it's a, a la carte. Okay. So what we do is we offer, um, we have different style experiences. We have, we have day trips, uh, we have multi-day experiences, and then we have, uh, you know, kind of your seven or 10 day or even 14 day community tourism trip, uh, through a particular region or a particular country, the airfare and the transportation getting there is, is up to the traveler. But typically once the visitor traveler gets to the starting point of our experience, everything is taken care of. So whether it's, you know, it depends on if you need to, you know, drive multiple hours through different regions, or if your experience is based in one particular community for multiple days, you know, lodging, food, transportation, all of that is taken care of while, you know, during, during your trip. Is there a limit on uh, group size and stuff like that, or how individual it is? Not typically. Some of our partners put a limit of, of two, potentially, but most allow for one. And they do. Wow. Just okay. charge a little bit more. How big can the groups get? It also depends on the experience, but could <laughs> get up to probably 15, 17. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So each one of our partners, each one of our, you know, micro tour operators has their own kind of set of rules. And so we adhere to those kind of rules and regulations and just kind of represent whatever it is that they're comfortable representing. Do you sell it as uh, if you want to make an impact when you're there? Like in a, it's mostly an environmental focus, right? I mean, it's more environment more than anything else, right? And, would, and honoring local merchants, but yeah. being local and not big chains or, or international. Yeah, the type the type of travel that you'll find on local is you know very very personal travel, low impact travel. Uh, culturally immersive travel, travel that, you know, allows you to have an amazing experience as well, though. Access to unique destinations. The way I like to kind of explain it is that, you know, we offer a luxury product. Luxury is not in the Egyptian cotton sheets or the limousine that you get to drive around in. It's in the access that you have to these destinations and it's in the connection that you have with the people there. Um, that's, you know, a different definition of luxury, but our experience, I mean, I know personally, I, when I first experienced that, I felt that way. And I know that travelers that have been on, on our trips also have come back and, and mentioned that. So one of the more startling statistics that I think kind of explains what it is that we're going for from an impact side is that right now, 95% of travel dollars spent don't stay in the local communities where people visit. They leave the country or they leave the community. And through our model, 80% of travel dollars spent stay with a local community, 20% leave. So through local, we're really flipping the, the paradigm. We're really uh, allowing travelers to not only have unique, different, amazing experiences all over the world, but also to understand better what they're supporting, where their money is going, and to do something about it. Let's say you got 10 days. You sold me on Guatemala. I've never been. 
what's like a popular trip that people are doing and what would you do for me? I say, I can, I can get myself there. Where do we go from there? All right. Great, great question. So we actually offer a, a 13 day Guatemala trip. And let's say I got 13 days. Let's say you got 13 days. <laughs> so, so yeah, I can take you through this, this experience. 13 days, visitor arrives to Antigua where there's a community called San Cristobal El Alto and a beautiful eco lodge in the mountains called Casa Chicaya run by a local family. And so it's about 20 minutes outside of the, the, this cultural hub of Antigua with, you know, kind of one of the more metropolitan areas of Guatemala, yet you feel extremely isolated and removed. And you spend two days up there, and you know, right when you get there with the local family, you go visit uh, artisans, you go on a four-hour hike with a local guide to a natural spring where they do this uh, traditional ceremony. Uh, you eat at local restaurants. There's a couple, you know, mom and pop restaurants, and then there's one slightly more commercial restaurant, but community owned with an amazing view of the valley. So go there for sunset one night, drink a glass of wine, hang out. Uh, the next day, you know, after those two days, we, we go to a local family down the hill that teaches us how to make uh, pepian, which is the regional dish of Guatemala. So you spend the morning making this, this dish and you eat lunch with the family. Uh, then we spend the next three days and we go to Lake Atitlan. It's one of the most majestic places I've ever been to. The lake is surrounded by multiple small communities and we link up with this organization called uh, Viva Atitlan and their director, Marlon, who has spent countless years developing community tourism in the lake. So we go visit multiple different communities. Uh, if, if we're lucky, we connect with the shaman, who's sometimes there, sometimes not. I was lucky enough to connect, get my fortune read. Uh, <laughs> last time I was there, you can hike the volcano, Volcano San Pedro. Uh, we sleep in guest homes in a community called Lincoln on the community right now. But you sleep in, in guest homes. You can go fishing with artisans. You spend two days in the lake. Beautiful experience. From there, you go to the Verapaz region, the Alta Verapaz and Lower Verapaz region. The city hub there is called Coban. And uh, you spend a couple days there. You go to a coffee cooperative that has a, a small zip line. You can go zip lining to the coffee cooperative. You learn how this community makes coffee and survives off, off that industry. You can go to a tea plantation. You can also, you know, we're staying actually this time in a, in a, in a kind of castle-like hotel. So, you know, beautiful, you know, slightly different experience. You're in the mountains and you spend a couple days, you know, visiting these different destinations. You can go to an orchid rescue center. They have 25,000 orchids. <laughs> uh, it's gorgeous. From there you go, Kate, we go caving. We go to these swimming holes, waterfalls, Las Conchas, Cuevas de Sol. <laughs> you visit a Quechi community. And then from there, you go up to Petén area and visit the ruins, Tikal, but also spend a night at Huachactún in that community that unearthed their own Mayan community, their own Mayan ruins. So that's basically 13 okay. days. The last, yeah, that's the, great. Yeah. Can it be people of differing uh, physical abilities uh, level? I mean, how active... Can you be, or I mean, can you tailor it where I want to do like lots of hiking? I'm more into like the outdoorsy kind of stuff, or can you say uh, like a little more 
cultural or whatever? Is it up to you? I mean, do you have the free time when you're there? Yeah. So th- on this trip, we give we give people options. You know, they, if they want to hike the volcano, San Pedro, they wake up at four in the morning and they do that for 10 hours. But Oof, if they want to okay. sleep till seven or eight and go <laughs> fishing uh, with an artisan fisherman, they can do that. If they just want to take the morning off and just walk around the city, right. uh, walk around town, they can do that. So we give people options. You know, uh, there's a, a moderate level of activity regardless on this particular trip. I think, you know, there's there's some walking. Uh, you can always opt out of the, like, you know, bigger hikes. But, you know, the, there's definitely a little bit of walking. But I wouldn't say that it's uh, this particular trip is extremely strenuous. Who are your typical customers? I mean, who are the, what are kind of the demographics and who are the people that are you've been working with? So the way that I kind of like to describe our our customer base is, you know, th- a three-point triangle. There's kind of the the travelers who are more interested in in conscious consumerism and, and interested in where their their dollars are going. So the conscious consumers on one end, on the other end, cultural enthusiasts, people who really are seeking these types of experiences out and on the other end, adventure travelers, people who are really into adventure. I'd say our, our customers really range from, you know, just out of college, I'm going to explore, you know, some communities or some, you know, nature reserves in Costa Rica or Guatemala to middle-aged couples who <laughs> like the peace and tranquility of some of the, you know, eco-lodges that we offer and want to go have a more, want to go relax in, in the jungle with, you know, locals. So it, it, it's, pretty, it's a pretty diverse set of, of travelers that we have initially um, started working with. What is your goal for the site if you're looking, say, five years down the line? Where, where do you see it all heading? Or where do you hope it heads? So we would love for local to be the central database for community tourism around the world. We would love for, A, community tourism to be more top of mind as an option when people decide to go on vacation, and also to think of local as the kind of default online platform for researching the best experiences and having the best booking, the booking, having the best booking experience you could possibly have. So five years from now, it'd be amazing to be working in every single country around the world because these types of experiences exist all over the world. And um, also to be, you know, tapped in on, on a high level with the traveler community, having them know that this is available and that it's uh, it's a great option. So most of your trips, you, you use local guides and locals to take people around. Do you ever get to go on these? Do you accompany with the, the people on these trips? On few occasions, I do. <laughs> uh, there's there's, a, there's a, a couple trips that we offer that uh, are personally curated by local travel. And so what that means is we, we operate the trips. Um, the trip in Guatemala that I referenced is a trip that... Uh, we personally put together. Uh, we have a trip in Costa Rica that we personally put together. The 100% exclusive trips that no, you can't find these anywhere else. And uh, for now, I am the facilitator of those trips. <laughs> so I, I do get to accompany travelers on, on those particular experiences. I, I'm not the guide. I'm just there to, to make sure everything goes smoothly. All the other trips are run by micro tour operators or partners that we have uh, developed relationships with. And so 
uh, on that end, we're just providing the the connection and the access to those communities. Okay, now give me your. Now we get to you personally. Give me some of your crazy things that have happened to you, either uh, traveling on your own or traveling for your business. I mean, do you get any kind of uh, mean response? Do you ever get uh, any uh, run-ins with police or anything like that or local authorities thrown in jail, ever thrown in jail? So, no, I've never been thrown in jail. <laughs> and I've never... You can't, it's hard for you to be conspicuous. You're a big white dude in, uh, in these things. You can't hide. You know, they, they see you coming. They do see me coming, and I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad yeah. thing. But in terms of real run-ins with with the police, I've I've you know had run-ins with with locals who have wanted me to buy certain yeah. things from them, <laughs> yeah. and uh, been had confrontations on that end. Nothing crazy. Uh, I'm always envious of is because you're fluent in Spanish and mine is so broken and bad. Have uh, have you caught people talking about you right around you? And uh, bust them on it, even honestly, in L.A. Honestly, really, honestly, on a not, bus or something. Not, it's like, look at this big white asshole. <laughs> not, not that oh, I can. I want to bust somebody so badly. Not that I can remember. I think most <laughs> most people assume. You know what? You know when when in Los Angeles and I go to a Latin restaurant or somewhere that you know that you know, Spanish speaking, they never speak to me in Spanish. Even right. at, when I speak to them in Spanish, uh, they just assume that I don't speak good Spanish. But <laughs> down there in Latin America, regardless of my appearance, they assume I speak Spanish, and so no one's really, really? like shocked. I mean, they're shocked at, at how well I speak Spanish <laughs> and and you know how fluent I am, but. I think you, by default, they just assume if you're, if you're there, if you're traveling, you know, you have some ability to speak Spanish. I find, like, oddly in L.A., that even in the most Spanish-speaking areas, they'll still know a little bit of English and talk to you, like, in a restaurant or something like that. In Miami, no. I've been to places in Miami where it's like, if you don't speak Spanish, you're out. Like, nothing. Like, the waitress will know nothing, not even a hint of English. So it's a, it, that's the one place in America where I found it's like, wow, this really is like being in South America. Mm-hmm. It's like out there. Yeah. Well, um, if you personally, if you want to uh, look at yourself, would you consider living long-term in another country? Or do you think you want to stay in America? What, where do you see yourself? Great question. <laughs> uh, if, I mean, next year could be a different answer. You next know. year could be a different answer, but... <laughs> I think I'm I'm pretty set on you know long term probably being uh, up up somewhere in like Sonoma County. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah, I, I love the Bay Area. I love uh, you know being close to San Francisco, family, friends up there. But like a little bit more of a kind of country and quiet. So if I were to live abroad, uh, I mean I, I do spend a lot of time as it is in, in Costa Rica and and. Guatemala now and uh, kind of feel like I live this hybrid lifestyle where I'm in Los Angeles right now, uh, but also have a, a life in those other countries where, you know, people have, you know, grown accustomed to kind of me being there. So when I come back, it's like not even this thing like, oh, were you gone? Or it's like, you know, so it's like I kind of am doing that right now to a certain extent. Um, I, I just think that long term, I'll probably stay in the U.S. Um, while still probably taking um, chunks of time. I mean, if I can do it professionally, which I'm <laughs> doing now, you know, reasons to to spend significant amount of time in in Latin America. That's kind of the best of both worlds for me. Cool. 
Well, um, if you if you have anything you could say you've learned from all this and, and how just your experiences, not only just starting a business, but uh, traveling around the world, how has travel changed you and how has it changed the way you look at the world and America from the outside? Yeah, so travel you know, humanizes so much for me and it creates perspective in a way that, um, I think it's very difficult to, to glean without, you know, travel. Um, you know, I have so much to learn from kind of rural campesinos, uh, you know, lifestyle values, you know, I think Western world often feels like when we go to kind of less developed areas that we are more advanced because we have money or technology or whatnot. Um, but really seeing how, how other people live in a more simple way um, and how happy they are with less is a beautiful thing. makes you kind of realize that we don't need that much. But, so um, I just think it also, you know, travel, I think more if more people traveled and saw the world, uh, you know, more Americans, we would be a, a healthier society as a whole. And that's really kind of the impetus for everything that I'm doing is to kind of inspire more, more people, more people that I, that I live with, that I'm surrounded by to kind of take that chance and put themselves out there and, uh, you'll come back, uh, stronger because of it. So that's, really the the basis for all my work it's obviously taken many different angles but um you know 10% of americans travel internationally outside of mexico and canada 30% of us have passports but 20% use it for mexico or canada so while it's still you know upwards of like 30 million or 33 million people that you know significant number that go out and see the world um it's very few considering how many people live here. And, uh, so I do think that it would be amazing for more, more of our fellow citizens to, to go out and see the world and, and connect with, with local people, um, connect with communities and just see kind of what else is out there. Yeah. I've been preaching that for years. Yeah. That's one of the basis of, uh, you know, me doing this, yeah. try to convince people that not to be afraid of it, but also that it's, it's not as expensive as you think it is or has to be. And, and just to ease their fear and just kind of stoke curiosity and just get them out there. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. And speaking of stoking it, this is where you get to plug all your stuff. So give us the websites and, uh, how to follow you and where people can go to see your stuff. All right. So, uh, to check out what, uh, what we offer uh, in 15 countries at the moment, uh, go to localtravel.com with a K. L-O-K-A-L. L-O-K-A-L travel.com. Uh, you can just peruse around the website, see, see what's up. Uh, our Instagram is local travels with an S. Um, you can watch the trailer of our film at uh, 2.5percentfilm.com and stay abreast of kind of when we're releasing it and all kind of different events that we're doing uh, through our Facebook page, which is also local travels. I believe that that is all the plugging I need to do at the moment. <laughs> and if you want to have links to all these places in one, one spot, you can go to uh, traveltalespodcast.com and click on the podcast section, see the article and it'll all be there. I appreciate it, man. It was awesome. nice to meet you. Nice to meet you Thanks as well. Thanks for doing this. Thank you for uh, doing it as well. And yeah, you know I'm going to find DJ Leche somewhere. 
I know, right? I'm going to find Deep it. Deep down it in, the, in the archives of the internet, <laughs> maybe it's there. All right, Maybe thanks. it's there. Thanks, man. Okay, thank you. Right.